This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jocks episode 112, recording April 26, 2022. This is Ron Sullivan. Glad to have you listeners uh, tuning in. Uh, before getting to this episode, this podcast is on anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So down down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So definitely got a lot of stuff to talk about. Definitely talk about some movie stuff, TV stuff. It includes Bill Murray. Uh, talk about that ongoing trial of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Talk about Angel Hernandez being a complete douche again for baseball and robot umpires might be something managers and players might praise. Sonic Origins for video games and maybe one or two other things all together here for this episode of Geeks and Jocks. And one thing before getting into all that, uh, kind of been a rough week uh, altogether. Just for a quick brief thing before fully getting into the episode. Uh, pretty bad storms all around in, in New York. It was a combination of snowstorm with with like strong winds and it was just rough last week. And in fact, I didn't upload um, the last episode until this past Thursday. So, uh, definitely won't be promoting that episode as well. It'll be a little outdated for sure, but definitely will want to promote it a little bit. You know, kind of like a double feature type thing. <laughs> but pretty rough altogether. Tons of trees down all around uh, parts of the state, and yeah, just not not an easy week. Definitely kind of a little rough, but yeah. So how about we jump right into some baseball, start with sports. One of the big things, again, is which umpire sucks. I think a lot of people would have to agree, Angel Hernandez. I don't know what else you can say that hasn't been said already. But he was there for the... Philadelphia Phillies, uh, Milwaukee Brewers game on Sunday. Yeah, just take a look. Yeah, just the fact that for now, as I'm recording this episode, Phillies Brewers, Angel Hernandez. I mean, of course he's going to face criticism. And the, the data becomes more and more shown with how bad he calls behind the plate. Now, I'm not sure if they include stats when he's on the baseline, whether it's first or third, and he has to uh, make that judgment call. I don't know if they count that as well. But I was reading a Sports Illustrated article, and they put up a tweet about 
from someone that said in seven years he missed 2,600 balls and strikes calls. In seven years. We're talking maybe two plus missed calls every game in a 162 game season. And he's not uh, he's not always behind the plate. But it must be so bad in these last seven years that a lot of people are still scratching their heads as to why Hernandez is still umpiring. Somebody explain that. And there were some... I saw a couple blatant calls. Um, one that was a borderline pitch that could have gone either way. The, that was the pitch to Kyle Schwarber in the ninth inning, which could have gone either way. I think probably the best umpire would call it a ball, but there, there probably would be some umpires that would call it a strike, depending on the frame of the batter and where the where the glove's being put, like the act and the motion of where they catch it with their glove and multiple other things, but both sides, regardless, um, were pretty critical critical of of Hernandez and why shouldn't they? I mean, people get demoted or promoted depending on which side of you are on and for some batters, you know, they get their one opportunity and if an ump screws them up they may not necessarily know that. Um, the manager might not necessarily know that, and bring them back down to the minors, probably hindering their development. And some have been advocating for robot umps, and that included Phillies manager Joe Girardi, according to the article. I think robot umps are going to probably be coming much sooner than people expect. I mean, they're using it in the minor leagues. We'll have to see what happens. And this is I'm not sure if it's a good long-term solution as much as I am an advocate for robot umpiring. I would still have my concerns a little bit. I would have huge concern. But I think fans will want this quite a bit because of buffoons like Angel Hernandez. And unfortunately... He, has the freaking umpires union and so he can hide behind them it's unfortunate because if there was no union he'd probably be ousted like 10 years ago or something along that line and yet he'll keep crying racism that he doesn't get a chance to call a world series again and someone put up a video, put up a tweet uh, bringing up a video after the game of a Phillies fan heckling him and Hernandez smiling at the, at the guy heckling, I wouldn't be smiling because the criticism keeps growing and growing and growing. He's been in the league for 30 plus years as an umpire, but at some point, I mean, what does baseball do? They got to do something. I don't know what they'll have to do, but it's something has to change. And here's something that'll have to change. Uh, I think if fans were to throw stuff on the field and try to attack attack players, that should probably be grounds for a ban for a while, if not potentially a permanent ban. And I think that probably will come into play with uh, some Yankee fans. <laughs> 
you know, it definitely is embarrassing to see that as a Yankee fan uh, during their weekend sweep of the Cleveland Guardians. So they had an incident occur in the uh, bottom of the ninth. There was a play for left fielder Stephen Kwan, who for his first month or so has been pretty good. You know, pretty good rookie stuff. And he finds himself hitting the hitting the fence and getting cut up a little bit. And fans uh, kind of cheering for that, which is kind of shitty. I mean, you don't do that, especially with a guy who could potentially be a, a rookie of the year. I think, what was the guy's name? Oscar Hernandez or whatever. And Miles Straw. And Miles Straw jumping onto the fence and trying to go after the fans, which I think was a bad move. Uh, if you want my take on it. And the Yankees wound up getting a game-winning hit. Uh, from Glaber Torres, who has had a game-winning hit against uh, Cleveland before, and that was his rookie year. I just want to look up the roster for the for Cleveland just for a brief second. Where is he? View all. Oscar Mer- Mer- Mercado. I thought it was Hernandez. I think I'm thinking of someone else. Tay Oscar Hernandez. He plays for someone else. But yeah, uh, Oscar Mercado and Miles Straw. And basically, Straw calling the Yankee fan base the worst fan base ever. Uh, I probably would keep... I would probably... If I was him, I'd be keeping my mouth shut. Especially since he hasn't really done anything in his five years as a as a player. He only started to light it up last year. So I'd be keeping things quiet and not generalize a fan base because of a few rotten apples. I wouldn't be doing that. And if I'm Miguel Cabrera, I wouldn't be complaining about uh, personal statistics and winning games. Now, this week, he was able to get his 3,000 hit. And obviously, he's in the accolades of being one of the great ball players of this century. And maybe, maybe of all time. Maybe not the all-time great, but there's got to be some discussion for him. Unbelievable player. He's got some great power, great hitting. World Series to his, to his name. And last week, we're trying to get the... Uh, 3,000 hit against the Yankees, he complains about Aaron Boone putting in like a reliever or something to to get him out and not giving a crap about the the accolade. I'm sure Boone does care about seeing an accolade, but he's out to win ball games. And there's tons of other managers that want to win ball games. They're not sure it's nice to see the moment and to, to do it against a team that is one of the most recognized teams in all of uh, baseball. But I'm sure any other manager would be like Boone. They're out to win games and so far the Yankees have done pretty well. 
to begin the first couple weeks. Other than some bad pitching here and there and the, some of the bats being cold, they're doing well. That's all I have to say. They're, they're out to win games. And if you look at the standings right now, uh, Toronto and the Yankees both have at least 10-plus wins. The Yankees at 10 exactly, and the Blue Jays winning their game against Boston. Looks like Boston 7-10 and 10 for the year. Tampa sitting 9-7. and uh, Let's see, who is the worst out of the... Okay, Detroit is 6-9 and nine for the year. And Kansas City is the worst in the Central, 5-9. and nine. Keep your eye on the Mariners. They are actually doing pretty well. 10-6, and six, uh, while Oakland's 9-8. and eight. The Angels are actually 10-7 and seven this year, which is a kind of a surprise. Uh, Houston at 7-9. Uh, the best team with the, with the best record right now is the New York Mets. They are actually lighting it up. 13-5 and five for the year. The rest, uh, the next closest is the Miami Marlins, 7-8 and eight for the year, four and a half games behind the Mets. Despite being 10-7, and seven, Milwaukee's uh, behind the Cardinals, 9-6. and six. Actually, same scenario with uh, the NL West. Uh, Dodgers, 11-4. Giants, 12-5. Giants are second place. Colorado and San Diego also have 10-plus wins. That's pretty good, all things considered. Unbelievable. Still, I mean, it's, it's still a very young season. Anything can happen. Now, what isn't happening is the Brooklyn Nets switching over to basketball. Uh, yeah, getting beaten 116-112 to 112 by Boston. And, yeah, it's one thing to be disappointed with the New York Knicks. But this has to be, like, the ultimate disappointment if you are a Nets fan. Probably so much hype going into this team. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and some of the trade acquisitions acquisitions that they've done. The fact that I'm not sure if they even had Ben Simmons. I think he was out. Just to double check. That has to be very frustrating. And you could probably guess as to why... Philadelphia got rid of him. And Philadelphia... They might be on the verge of another Doc Rivers choke session. I don't know what it is with, with Rivers. He commands these good teams in L.A., in Boston, and a couple of, like one or two other teams, and he just keeps choking. He keeps choking. And you wonder if his championship that he won with uh, Boston was a fluke or not. Seriously. Right now, Toronto just made it three, three to two, two in a row uh, against Philly. Right now, they forced a game six, and there's only been a few times where, I guess, in the first round that they forced a game seven. No, no team that forced a game seven after being down three and zero have won it all. There's probably some fire left in Toronto's uh, Toronto's heart, and they're probably going to do whatever they can to win it all. Be kind of embarrassed right now if I'm the Utah Jazz losing to uh, Dallas. Seriously, 
as far as other other series goes, let's see where we are. T Wolves actually playing some good ball against Memphis for the most part. Golden State three uh, one right now in their series against Denver. Denver just won Sunday. Miami beat Atlanta Hawks Sunday. They're up three one. Tight game between tight series, excuse me, between uh, the Pelicans and the Suns. I think people want. I want to see if uh, Zion uh, Williamson played. I think people want to see that happen. I really think they do. If that, if that can happen, I mean, he is going to be promo personified. At least that's how I see it. So as far as other games go, I mean, it's a tough. I mean. See what happens with uh, both the Timberwolves and Grizzlies and the Pelicans and Suns. Someone's getting their third win. See if uh, Miami closes it out against Atlanta. Something about these Spolstra teams and the combo of players that they have. It's just They keep finding ways to get in. And it's not just the Spolstra era of, of the teams either. It's the what they've been doing for the last... 25 plus years. Not really a lot of any other stuff going on in sports. Just some... Nothing really of grand importance for hockey. But season does end this this upcoming weekend. So... Curious to see what the uh, playoffs bring forth. And very briefly with... Uh, with NASCAR... Ross Chastain finding his way to victory lane yet again. Second second win of the season in Talladega. Some crazy finish there uh, looking at the highlights yesterday. Very crazy. Uh, so here's how the top ten follows. Austin Dillon finishing second. Kyle Busch third. Kyle Larson fourth. Martin Truex Jr. rounds out the top five. Eric Jones finds his way to sixth. Chase Elliott continuing another top 10 performance, 7th. Michael McDowell, 8th. Alex Bowman, 9th. And Kevin Harvick going 10th. So here's some of the other notables. Ryan Blaney, 11th. Eric Almirola, 13th. William Byron, 15th. Kurt Busch, 16th. Daryl Wall- Bubba Wallace, excuse me, 17th. That dude is going to be on the verge of a top 10 performance. Denny Hamlin, 18th. Austin Cedric 21st, Brad Keselowski 23rd, and a bunch of do not finishes, did not finish from 27th through 39th, and that includes Ricky Stenhouse at 30th, Joey Logano 32nd, Harrison Burton 34th, Greg Biffle 35th, Chase Briscoe 37th, Chris Buescher 38th, and last place, Tyler Reddick. Ouch. So as far as the standings go, let's take a look. So far, Chase Elliott still continues to have a number one spot. Your top five is Ryan Blaney second, William Byron third, Kyle Busch fourth, and Alex Bowman fifth. So you got 300 guys uh, in the top five. If you could put in the top 10, Kyle Larson's in there 7th. 
Obviously, the search, Joey Logano, sixth in the point standings right now. Martin Truex, eighth. Ross Chastain gets himself to ninth. And Eric Almarola, tenth. I think it's just getting into the top ten consistently for Elliott. I mean, he's still a capable driver. And Blaney, same thing too, but he's got more top five finishes, four versus one. So, that about, I think, wraps it up for for sports. I just want to look at one quick thing for 2022 for the NFL. And one of the things that they're actually thinking about, and this is actually going to be uh, going to be pretty interesting. Uh, NFL looks like according to fbschedules.com so the NFL season is going to be falling on Christmas Day uh, for this year. So it's on a Sunday. Afternoon games on CBS and Fox. Primetime game on NBC. And they've had some instances. Wow, this is an article from ESPN. Last year, Green Bay's 24-22 victory over Cleveland averaged 28.6 million viewers on Fox. Third most watched game of the 2021. Wow. That's real, that, that is very good. I mean, there's a lot of people that probably, you know, open up presents. Maybe they get a thing of beer for some people and watch a game. The NFL Network, 12.6, second highest viewed game in the network history. Wow. I'm assuming the first one is... Well, now I think about it. Nah, never mind. I was thinking the 07 Patriot Giant game, but that's probably not it. So, for Week 16, the league will have its regular Thursday night game on the 22nd. 11 games on December 24th, including a night game on NFL Network. After the Christmas triple header, the week will close with a Monday night contest. I'd just be kind of curious to see if they flex anything. Unless they got something planned in mind. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I'm genuinely curious. I'll have to see what goes when they uh, get the full schedules out. Because definitely going to get some highlights. Probably get like a Dallas game or something for Sunday on Christmas, if I had to assume so. (laughs) So, moving on. Let's talk some TV. How about we talk about CNN Plus? Because this is an app that I didn't even know existed. Or at least a a streaming type site. Excuse me. And it's not even a month in when it was announced that it was going to be shut down. That's got to be hugely debilitating. That is just... I think it's just... I don't know what this purpose was. This was something, I guess, that was in the works for at least a year or two, according to CNBC. 
there's probably a lot of things going on. $100 million streaming service, according to Washington Post. Ouch. I mean, it's bad enough that the network is struggling, but to invest their money in a streaming service, and this is not just CNN doing it as well, it's Warner Brothers Discovery working on this as well, and sounds like they were not pleased with probably what is going on with with CNN, and numbers as of April 19th, 150,000 subscribers. Were they looking for more numbers, I guess? Were they? Uh, that's just that's just mind boggling. That's just I mean it's 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 a bad enough situation where you have CNN who's had a lot of issues over the last year or so when you think about it. You have you have a network that is struggling to even reach number two or number one in ratings against Fox News and MSNBC. It was expected that the ratings would struggle a bit on all three networks following Donald Trump leaving office. But CNN, not a lot of people like CNN. You know, people gravitate towards Fox and gravitate towards towards CNN. The CNN, MSNBC, excuse me. And when you combine all the stuff with Andrew Cuomo and his brother Chris, the resignation earlier this year of Jeff Sucker, it's just multiple issues after multiple issues. You know, just probably just like a bad service that came at a, at a bad time. It's just this is crazy. I mean, it's it's not even a month. You think maybe after a couple months, as much as I don't care for CNN, you'd think that this would be given more and more of a chance. And just just seems like it just it just seems like it's trying to cash in on cash in on everybody streaming. We are in an era now where people are cutting the cord on cable. I mean, when you think about it, cable is not the preferred package anymore. And when you look at the networks, they're all offering not a lot of content. And by that, I mean you don't get really the variety of shows you get maybe four or five shows on MTV and it's all the same stuff along with maybe some movie that they're trending about uh, freeform a couple shows a couple movies and then spamming the office for six hours or spamming family guy on Friday nights for eight hours and who knows what movies they are on there TNT and TBS they seem like the seems very interchangeable because they all they both air the same type of movies over and over you know bunch of Star Wars stuff bunch of Marvel stuff and I mean you're lucky if they put anything else better on 
like one of the weird things is they had on Con Air, the Nick Cage movie, and Walking Tall, The Rock. The that movie's usually on like Paramount Plus or not Paramount Plus, Paramount Network and uh CMT. CMT's airing like romantic crap right now. While Comedy Central is trying to put out other syndicated shows, it just seems like they can't get their heads out of the ass of The Office and South Park. But the point being is everybody's cashing in on streaming and they're trying to get onto multiple, multiple networks or multiple streaming services. But here's the problem. Cable is expensive, yes. However, when you're buying all these packages for a year, the costs add up. And I think that's one of the big reasons why Netflix, just to change gears for a little bit, Netflix losing subscribers for the first time in 10 years. That's got to be that's got to be frustrating I mean I'm just going to look for an article let me see wow according to Rotten Tomatoes losing 200,000 subscribers in the first three months of 2022 and expects to shed let's see 2 million more this quarter oh and this is coming off of where, from what I've from what I've read, uh, from online forums and a few articles, they're going to try cutting down on password sharing. So it, it if you know anything about streaming and you have like a family or so, uh, people are going to share streaming services, or maybe there's someone that's using your service using this, the service you're using behind behind your back. So probably they're trying to crack down on people that bum off people or using it for free, I guess. There's probably going to be like a security code type thing because it's got to be tracking where the people are using Netflix and other stuff. I would assume so. It just comes at a pretty bizarre situation and... I feel like over the last few years, Netflix has been upping the price a bit to justify some of their content and some of the acquisitions that they've made in the last eight, nine years, maybe shorter, maybe longer, I don't know. It just seems like the competition has become even more fierce and they want to lock in on people and it's just not working. I mean... Netflix has been around for, what, since 97? I mean, granted, it was a lot different back in 97, where they were doing other types of stuff, but, I mean, let's just just look for an article. I'm going to look at the street if it's not uh, paywalled. King of the Hill, but first... See first drop for the service. See, according to experts who closely follow, this is according to the street.com. 
inflation, forcing customers to cut back, pulling its service in Russia, losing 700,000 customers. All right, that's because of the thing going on with Ukraine. Increasing increased competition in streaming and outdated content content strategy. Robust catalog. I mean, sure, there's original stuff. I think that's what they're trying to say. This is this is according to the article. Uh, so people might sign up to Netflix for Russian Doll or Inventing Anna, but they'll stick around to watch When Harry Met Sally and maybe stream a season of New Girl. So basically, there's going to be some old content there that people are going to enjoy. And for something like that example of When Harry Met Sally, that's not really on TV. You don't see it on the premium channels. You don't see it on cable. It'd probably be extremely rare to see it on TV at all now these days. That's a generally a well-regarded movie. And something like New Girl, you can't, can't even find it on a syndication anymore. There was like a brief period for a couple of years where that was on like TVS, but it was like overnight. I'm sure that applies with other TV shows, movies, all this older stuff. And so, yeah, people are going to want more than just the original stuff. But you got to find a healthy balance. Like a really good balance, and obviously the competition has been doing kind of the same thing. You know, like the like the Mythic Quest or whatever that show is, Mystic Quest from uh, Rob McElhenney. There's probably some other stuff, like older content, like Apple getting uh, the peanut stuff. Sure, you might want to watch Mythic Quest. There's definitely some other content that that might intrigue you to stick around and watch something on Apple. At least that's at least that's how I see it. But yeah, Netflix losing subscribers. Hard to hard to believe. Hard to really believe, but with all the competition coming in, I mean they're they probably would have to hope that some of these uh, streaming services lose subscribers because of their content. But I don't think it's going to happen. So I don't know what else really you could say. But I'll tell you one thing, switching from TV to movies. Actually, well, you know what, I'll I'll bring that up in a little bit. Uh, something with uh, Jet Blue. This might as well sound like like a movie straight out of hell. I'll say that. Uh, but going to the box office for this upcoming weekend, kind of a weak weekend, all things considered. Number one this week, this past week, was uh, The Bad Guys. It's DreamWorks' latest movie. Had a brief look at the uh, domestic, uh, actually the budget, and the numbers made it. Uh, the numbers were 80 million for the budget. Not sure what was put into marketing, but 24 million dollars at the box office for domestically. That's not bad. Now, it's got to be disappointing a little bit for DreamWorks and Universal. Actually, be kind of 
curious to see what the uh, numbers would be critically. I'm actually very, very curious. Let's see what the numbers. Well received on Rotten Tomatoes. Made a critic, not so much, but not panned by any stretch. It's actually got a interesting cabaret of cast members. Sam Rockwell, Mark Marin, Anthony Ramos, Craig Robinson, Aquafina, Richard Ao Aoade. Is that how you say it? But even with that, um, twenty-four million—that's not—that's not horrible, but it's not going to have the numbers to really keep people interested. At least that's how I see it. Especially considering that uh, in its third weekend at number two is Sonic the Hedgehog two, and. It's already reached the numbers of its uh, predecessor here in the United States. Uh, just, I'm going to take a look very briefly at the numbers for for 2020 Sonic. And yeah, about 146 million. It already just eclipsed it uh, this weekend. So that should give you a good clue. Just, just. Barely clipped it this this weekend. 146 plus million domestically, worldwide 288. Definitely sticking around for another couple weeks. Number three, very obvious. This was going to be disappointing. Uh, Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore, making about 14 million. So its totals right now is 67 million domestically, 212 internationally, altogether uh, 280 worldwide. I'm assuming Warner's ain't Warner Brothers ain't pleased, especially since it was a movie that cost 200 million dollars. It better hope that the international numbers keep doing well, because otherwise this is a this is a freaking bomb. Massive flop. Unless the international numbers do better, which uh, I'm kind of finding a little hard to fathom. So, number four, first weekend uh, for this movie, The Northman. And actually, I should mention uh, that's the first, uh, The Bad Guys is uh, opening weekend as well. Uh, Northman made a little over 12 million this weekend. It made. 12 plus mil domestically, 11 plus mil internationally, so 23 million. So I don't know what the reception is for that film. It's got to be doing okay if people were really interested in it. The Northmen. Pretty well received. Actually, a pretty good, pretty good cast. And a all right, that's not that's not too horribly budget anywhere from 70 to 90 million. But it may not be the type of movie that stands around in theaters for that long. And that's considering you got a pretty good cast. Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clay's Bang, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Jork, Willem Dafoe. Combo from both Universal and Focus Features. That's, that's not bad. 
Yeah, number five to round it out. The unbearable weight of massive talent, seven point one million. Uh, it's the Nick Cage movie where he plays Nick Cage, and it. I actually saw it, and I didn't think it was that bad of a movie. Probably not the most well-regarded, though, because I mean it's Nick Cage. Feels like he's a tough sell, and quite frankly. Uh, Probably a tough sell to sell Nicolas Cage to anybody in general. If I had to say so. So let's take a look at the top ten. Number six, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, made a little over $5.4 So its numbers right now are up to $26 million. And it didn't have a huge loss. Uh, Lost City at number seven made over 4.3 million, so it's up to 85 million. I actually want to take a look at the uh, numbers altogether. So 128 million worldwide. So this movie might be kind of a might be a miss for Paramount. Though I'm not sure if any other places uh, have had it uh, in other parts of the world. Number eight, Father Stew, making a little over 3.3 million, and its totals right now here domestically almost 14 million. Like I figured, this movie would be kind of a struggle to see, but to see it struggle a little more than usual. Number nine, Morbius, 2.3 million, so at 69 million dollars. Be curious to see if this even makes it to the budget. Makes it if it can even get to uh, seventy-five million. And finishing out the top ten is Ambulance, nearly one point eight million, and altogether nineteen million domestically, worldwide forty-six million altogether. And just thinking that with similar to Nick Cage, I mean, is Michael Bay even a director you want to have anymore? And this ain't even a small, this ain't even a large budget movie. It's $40 million. Probably still going to be a miss for Universal. Universal's actually been kind of struggling a little bit this year with some of their movies. So one of the things that just seems like it just came out of a movie like one incident after another and it involves JetBlue. So I guess I'll bring up uh yeah it's I don't know what, it's it's one of those speechless type of things and so Mike Tyson Obviously, one of the great boxers of the 80s and 90s. Controversial, absolutely. But then you have a a fan, supposedly, with a criminal record. I mean, you don't try to anger someone like Mike Tyson. And supposedly, this person that... Provoked Tyson was taunting him and one or two other things. 
and Tyson punched the passenger on the pl- on the JetBlue plane. Now, while I do think there should be some comeuppance for the passenger, I'm sure getting a punch from Tyson might be a story you want to hear sometimes, I guess. But, I don't know, it seems like, not sure how to trust TMZ, but a fan post for a photo with Tyson not too long after the airplane beat down. But still, you don't... Still, you don't mess with Mike Tyson. If you're a fan, just say, hey, can can we post for a photo? And at the same time, we can't just be vigilante when, when we need to. Although... Wonder how people would feel about someone like Bill O'Reilly. So he had an incident that occurred. This was um, I'm not sure if this was before or after the Tyson incident, but confronting a passenger or not passenger, a worker for JetBlue because of a delayed flight. Let's take a look at metro.com.co.uk. Oh, this was this was back in at the start of April. I mean, it's one thing again. Okay, this is this has been around for a little longer than usual, but at JFK, calling a staff member and. An effing scumbag. You're going to lose your job. That's. That's. This was filmed April 3rd. So why did this circulate. Last week and not. When it happened. Were people. Were they not aware that it was Bill O'Reilly. It's. I mean, sure, it's one thing to get frustrated when you're on a delayed flight to the Caribbean, but flights get delayed all the time. I mean, it it, it happens. It it really, really happens. I mean, I mean, is it frustrating? I'm sure it is for millions of people who sleep in airports at times because they can't find a hotel. Because their flight got delayed or got canceled. I mean, this guy's been been ousted for about five years following a sexual harassment scandal. According, this is from Business Insider right now, by the way. Uh, 2017, Fox fired him. He hosts his own podcast. I've never liked Bill O'Reilly. I've never never liked him. He always came off as like an unprofessional, obnoxious journalist. He always reminded me of if he was the male version of Nancy Grace. Now, I'm sure not to dismiss Nancy Grace having a passion for trying to stop criminals and all that, which 
give her credit for having a passion and stopping crime. But Grace ain't an innocent angel either. And neither is O'Reilly with their... They seem like a match made in heaven. Although Grace is married. Just due to their attitudes and obnoxiousness of interrupting people in a, in a bad fashion, just... Ugh. I don't know. From a journalist standpoint, it just seems like very unprofessional. You know what? I see some comeuppance coming to him, even though he's in his 70s. Now, one of the other interesting things to occur uh, was the cancellation of a, of a movie or a production that got shut down. Uh, let's take a look, because... It, it's one of those things, inappropriate behavior on set of a new movie, allegedly handsy according to page six with women on Aziz Ansari film set. Yeah, if that's what they consider, probably touching, the, I don't know what touching is, I mean, no one wants to get touched. It doesn't matter if they if murder tries to touch them in sensitive spots or anywhere in particular, but that's, that's, that's pretty bad. So it's halting a new movie, yeah, being mortal, being touchy with a female crew member, and there's actually something I wanted to look at, actually, so I don't know what Pink Villa is, probably a female thing, yeah, probably a female writer, so I'm just looking for because it's not the first time that we've heard stories of of Murray being kind of kind of unprofessional see yeah this is something that yeah the son of Richard Dreyfus opening up about what about Bob? Now that movie turned thirty last year, and there was some stuff about uh, Richard Dreyfus really not being pleased with how Murray acted. The movie did well, and I believe it was well received, but it just seems like production was a nightmare. It's... So this is from this article from Pinkville. However, on Thursday, Richard Dreyfuss' son, Ben, opened up about an episode from the past and put fuel to the fire as he disclosed that at the time of filming the 1991 comedy, What About Bob?, Walt Disney Co. had to apparently hire security to protect the cast and crew from Murray. He further claimed in a tweet that Murray caused a ruckus on the set and had a meltdown because he wanted an extra day off, which the late producer, Laura Ziskin, did not allow. Allegedly, Murray ripped off her, her glasses off her face, and my dad complained about his behavior, and Bill Murray threw an ashtray at him, Ben maintained in his tweet. Dreyfus went on to add, everyone walked off the production and flew back to L.A., and it only resumed after Disney hired some bodyguards to physically separate my dad and Bill Murray in between takes. Yeah. That's, I mean, sounds, sounds pretty bad, and I'm curious as to see what other what other movies if people open up at any point because I mean there's been some animosity here and there and just 
this is the type of thing where it comes back to haunt someone. And Bill Murray is a funny guy. And he, he's done some great films and TV stuff. But while I don't think he is necessarily quote-unquote canceled, I think it'll come to light just the kind of behavior that he has. It's not like Chris Columbus quitting because of Chevy Chase with his erratic behavior, but you you wonder about some of these older SNL guys and maybe some other older actors too. That's just nutty. Like, uh, being mortal, I mean, I mean, who knows if there's any lawsuits that will happen at any point. Just see if there's anything else here. Uh, That's just... I don't know what to say. (laughs) That hasn't been said already. And the last thing I can think of for, for movies is... Uh, the the trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And this is one of those things that, you know, it's becoming more and more apparent that there's been a lot of issues in regards to Amber Heard. So they were married for a few years, Depp and Heard. They separated, I believe, in 2017. And some bad stuff occurring in 2018 to where Heard claimed abuse and being being heard on and just all this other stuff. And basically Depp getting let go from certain film projects and according because of some article and trying to win against a lawsuit against The Sun in the UK, losing to that. Heard writing an article for the Washington Post. I mean, I've looked at some of this stuff, and it's just, it just seems like now, with, like, the recent lawsuits, and the defamation stuff, which is worth $50 million, uh, sounds like there's a lot more to it, and from, sounds like from the testimonies, and eyewitness stuff, sounds like a fabrication from Heard. While it certainly doesn't excuse Depp's behavior, it's become national news, because you think about it, it's two well-known actors, two well-known actors in a toxic marriage, in a toxic relationship, and stuff being opened up now with some actors being testified on in court and saying how much of a prick Heard is. And I think this is the type of stuff that I think people have been wanting to see for a while because of Heard kind of getting away with it scot-free and hiding behind stuff like Me Too. I think that's the issue people have. Because it sounds like both of them were pretty despicable and only Depp was getting some of the punishment. I think people want to see something fair happen and I think they want to see Heard be put under a microscope and be analyzed and just and get ripped apart. Although there's been some instances where Depp was kind of a pe- being a piece of crap in court according to some websites. Um it while doing the while under oath in trial. 
But I think I hope this comes as an example of men can get abused too. Like this ain't this ain't no joke. The sad thing, and this is something that I think I've said in some other podcasts over the last three plus years. The real victims are the people you don't see on the front page. They don't get national attention. It's the people who legitimately do get abused. And cops and no one else really believes it except for maybe a few close friends. It's got to be disheartening. Hugely disheartening because of some people who try to manipulate the system and try to put on this face for the media that they're the victim when they're not. Makes me want to puke. Just... I don't know. Some women don't deserve to be given a get-out-of-jail-free card. The same applies to the guys as well. I mean, put on this pretty face and that's it. You're a fake. You're you're a freaking fake. (sighs) So let's finish this up with something a little positive, and that is Sonic Origins. As we jump to video games. Sonic Origins was announced almost a year ago, and it's a compilation of games that consist of Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Knuckles, and Sonic CD. The first three games, well, technically four, actually, which, uh, were released for the Sega Genesis between 1991 and 94, and Sonic CD was on the Sega CD in 1993. It's a compilation that is going to have some cool features, and is slated to release June 23rd this year, aka Sonic's birthday. So just to take a brief look. Coming out for the PS4, PS5, the Xbox line, the Switch, and computers. There's a trailer out that came about uh, almost the end of this past week. And just trying to find some stuff. I mean, it's an epic game store. I keep forgetting about... I keep forgetting about some of these other... um, game stores online. Yeah. It's going to be looking at pockettactics.com Supposedly it's going to be a $40 game. No word on a physical release yet according to the what they're saying on the website. But they expect one pretty similar to Sonic Mania. So it's pretty interesting. So one of the things that they have going on is playing it as if you were playing it on a Genesis in 4x3 format. And then they have a thing called Anniversary Mode remastered and running in widescreen. So what is going on with this? Well... 
this game sounds like it's being developed by someone that has known Sonic, or at least developed Sonic, and I believe it's Head Cannon. That's actually the that's actually the name. Head Cannon Games. I believe this is the group headed by headed by just trying to find their name on here. I believe this is headed by okay, so it's not Christian Whitehead. His name is Simon Thomley, aka Stealth. <coughs> so they actually partially responsible for it. Or is it all... Yep, all of them all together. Headcanon. Now, Sonic 1 and 2 has been put out on several... Actually, not several. Excuse me. Uh, numerous... Uh, numerous consoles over the last 20 years. And some of Nintendo's handhelds. So, it's pretty accessible for the most part. It has been put on digital stores for PS3 and Xbox 360. believe digital for the Switch. You can get uh, physical copies of the game, those two games via Sega Genesis Classics for PS4, Xbox One and Switch. And obviously, uh, physical releases on... PS2, Xbox, GameCube, via some Sonic collections. Now, Sonic 3 Knuckles, I think people have been wanting this for a good while. Because there hasn't been a re-release of this game since at least 2009, maybe 2010. And that's due to a lot of the legal issues because of... Because of music. It's hard to know who worked on the music specifically, but obviously, this all has to come down to, I would assume, the, the estate of Michael Jackson. Although his name is not on the game, when you go through the credits, there's probably some assumption that he did do it. And it sounds like he did. So there hasn't been a re-release since 2009, 2010, give or take. Sonic CD hasn't really seen much of a re-release either. The last time that got anywhere close to a release was... Shoot. 2011, when it came out for Steam, uh, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. And that was the first time in about, at that point, six years. Six, Six years because... It got re-released on the GameCube, and it was based on, I believe, the PC port. It's only been on a handful of systems and not a whole lot. It's not the greatest game on the planet, but it's not bad either. The re-release on the 360, PS3, and Steam is actually really good. Uh, Level design still isn't, isn't the best, but some of the stuff, such as the widescreen aspect... And playing as tales, and just that's the thing about this origins thing that has me interested is the extra features. It's actually pretty cool to see them work together, 
like work on the games and give them like a fresh coat of paint while still playing like they were back in the 90s. $40, I think, is what the price is going to be. And I do think it will probably be that price. But without a physical copy, I'm a little hesitant on getting it. But I'll definitely, definitely have interest in it. There's definitely some other compilations that I like to sink my teeth into. Especially the Namco one that should be coming out at the end of May. And whenever they put out the uh, Cowabunga collection of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games. And the last one, last thing I'll bring up is that it's been 10 years since the release of The Walking Dead for video video game from Telltale Games. Now why is this important? Because it helped make Telltale into a major household name and the style of play and story really pushed forth pushed forth a specific type of storytelling and being invested in the characters a lot more compared to other games of that nature. And Telltale at that time had been around for about eight years, give or take seven, eight years. And they were already getting some notoriety because of Back to the Future and Jurassic Park. And for what The Walking Dead was able to do, it was hitting it while the iron was hot with a property that was gaining traction. And it, it was just, you know, it, it was still felt like it was in that universe of The Walking Dead, but was original with its own ideas. You know, the adventure of Lee Everett and young Clementine as they tried to sift through this apocalypse. I mean, it was super popular. And it had an ending that, you know, spoiler alert, isn't the best ending. It's not a happy ending. And it really brought forth even more popularity for Telltale. And while that is a positive, it is also a huge negative. Like, just very briefly, I'll talk about playing through um, the Walking Dead line. So I didn't play the Walking Dead until 2016, and then briefly the following year and into 2018, played through that first episode, that first season, excuse me, and its uh, bonus episode, 400 Days, and... I didn't play any other Telltale games other than Back to the Future prior to that. And to be able to play it was really nice. It just... it It's just... The story hooks you in. And some of the decisions... I'm not a huge fan of their time-based decisions. And it's something that I hate about Telltale games following The Walking Dead. But it... It felt natural compared to most of the other games that that they would make over the next six years. Good graphics. I love the ambiance and the, and the soundtrack, the score. Voice acting was done well. 
and it still felt like a point click game for uh, for Telltale, but to find that balance between story and doing the point and click aspects, it was fun. But like I said, it caused a negativity towards Telltale because after that they tried to for most of their games emulate what made The Walking Dead good and do just enough to either be good or decent but pale to what they were doing. I think their to me their best non Walking Dead game following that first season, I think was The Wolf Among Us and I played that last year. It was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot more than I think I would have just due to the crime nature aspect of it, which is pretty fitting considering Telltale made some CSI games in the mid-2000s. I loved the, I loved the crime aspect of it. I liked that there was sort of like an L.A. noir type thing going for it, and the style was unbelievable. It's just I enjoyed it a lot more than I think probably some people would. Um... As far as their other stuff, I mean, I've played I played through the other seasons of The Walking Dead. Second season was good, but it was gravitating more towards a lot more quick time events and and less focus on the point and click aspect. Uh, the miniseries Michonne, I think, it was just more of like a technical showpiece to see about the about the new engine that they were going to use at the time and. Felt less like a point-and-click game and more focus on cinematics, which jumps us to the new frontier, which it was at a better pace, and it was nice to see a different perspective from a different family. I think I think that helped it quite a bit. But the last season, I actually enjoyed. Uh, because it felt like it was going back to its roots a little bit. Although there was this sort of Life is Strange vibe a little bit. I don't know how else really to explain it, but it felt like Life is Strange a little bit. And that's actually a series from Square Enix that I've actually grown to enjoy over the last almost four years, probably come this summer. Uh, it'll be four years since I first really sunk into that series. If I had to put together what I think was better, I would just I would give Life is Strange a slight bump above The Walking Dead, though both games are fantastic. As far as other Telltale stuff, uh, Game of Thrones, I'm not sure if it's just bad experience on the PS3, but... Did not play all that well. It felt kind of sluggish. The load times were very bad. It just there was good production value to it, but the gameplay suffered. Uh, the Batman games, I think, are pretty good. I like the detective aspect of it, though. It's just basically The Walking Dead, but with a coat of with, with Batman as the, the coat of paint. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I like the story. I liked the graphics that they had to it, and the voice acting was pretty good, but it felt like there was no gameplay to it. It 
it barely felt like a game. I'm trying to think of any other any other games off the top of my head, and I don't want to think so. I've been wanting to try uh, wanted to try the Tales from the Borderlands, and they do have it on the storefronts for uh, for PS4 and Xbox One, but it just seems like it never gets past $15. Kind of want it for maybe like ten. Might might just have to take the plunge at some point. Uh, I know that I think I read something that they might be trying to get another one out, Tales from the Borderlands Two. Let's see if that even happens. There's been a long wait for The Wolf Among Us Two. That hasn't even come out yet. I I'm not confident in the new version of Telltale. I'm not feeling all that confident and. Hopefully they learn a thing or two from the latest Life is Strange game, True Colors, to where they can, to where they can do it in an episodic format, but have it all at once instead of trying to, to uh, release it in episodic format every month or two. That was like one of the big things that hurt Life is Strange too. Uh, but yeah, 10 years since really the Walking Dead game on PS3, 360, PC made its way to PS4, Xbox One, Switch, even the Vita. I think the Vita got the first two Walking Dead games. So that's pretty pretty cool. So that about wraps up this episode. So, like I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, that is episode 112. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.